Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. As you know, I am a fan of spiritual practice. Like, I really do believe in there is a lot of good research to back me up that having some sort of spiritual practice is one of the keys to being happy and having an even keel in your life, being able to deal with loss and the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, right? So it it really works for me. Like it's very dominant in my psyche, always has been. So I have done meditation and centering prayer and basically any kind of spiritual practice I ran across to the point where I actually broke past that initial boredom and what what is this? And I actually started to experience states, which I believe are brain states and also real metaphysical states. So I believe in both science and metaphysics. Um, And I get to those states that there's a a word in uh, Sanskrit, Satchitananda, which means the bliss of things being thus. It means like just in this particular moment, actually being conscious in my particular body and my particular situation goes into a wave of absolute bliss. And it's very addictive. Like it, it really has seen me through a lot of difficulty in my life. It's seen me through a lot of emotional pain. It's seen me through a lot of physical pain. So I am a huge fan. I'm here to tell you it works. And this morning, I got up and I had extra time to sleep in, which is a thing in our house now because we have a 12-week-old baby in the house. Now, I have not been taking care of the baby in the night. I, it turns out, am completely incapable of that kind of physical effort. But I do get up in the morning and take a shift with the baby. Um, I wear a shift. I put the baby in a shift. No. I just take some time doing baby things. And I got extra time to sleep this morning because my wonderful family said, you don't have to do your baby shift because it is your birthday. It is my birthday. And I thought, wonderful, a whole extra hour to experience Satchitananda, to like sit in meditation and go to this place of bliss, which really is like when you hit different experiences in there, you start to actually see what people in the ancient texts and, and in modern texts who've been there, what they mean, like when, when it says in the New Testament, a spring of living water. There's a place you can go in your in your psyche or in your soul, I don't know, where it literally is like this clear spring of water that you've been just dying of thirst your whole life and you can just drink it in. Or um, what are some other phrases? Is that I, I love how Eckhart Tolle breaks down the phrase in the Old Testament, be still and know that I am God. And he says they're actually all names for the absolute, for the experience of the divine. Be, just to be, still, stillness, that incredible quenching stillness. Know, the deep knowing that isn't mind and isn't, it's just absolute. It comes from the the fabric of your consciousness, that kind of knowing, and you're just home in it. And no, I am. So the I am, one of the best meditation mantras you can ever have is I am, I am, I am. That's Nisargadatta Maharaj's, that's all he ever did was sit and think I am. And his mind expanded and he became this font of wisdom and joy. And then God, they're all the same thing. 
So you'd think that I would have leapt up today. I literally, there have been times when I just bound out of bed because I'm so excited to go sit and do absolutely nothing for like hours at a time. It's not American, it's not an American way to live. Um, getting more so, but it's just downright un-American. This morning, I did not bound out of bed and go to meditate. No, I stayed in bed because you know what happened? I mean, Satchitananda and ex experiencing the bliss of true consciousness and everything, that is one thing, but it's cool, right? It got cold. It is November in Pennsylvania. When I bound out of bed, it's not like we don't have central heating, but I am decidedly cool for a matter of minutes. And that right there is enough time for me to just lie in bed going, nah, not today. And I just, so I just lay in bed the whole extra hour. And then I clambered out of bed and I went um, to have morning communion. If you tune in regularly, you know that our family, the first thing we do every day is meet for morning communion. Because in a pandemic, you need structure. And we've always had the structure, but morning communion, evening communion, there are all these different communions during the day. It's wonderful. Put communion throughout your day. It's, that is kind of a spiritual practice when I think about it, but it's not something that feels as austere as like pure metaphysical striving or whatever. And I went down and I said to my beloveds, I'm, I have fallen off my spiritual practice and I can't get on. I can't get up. Remember that? Um, commercial, when I told Ro that topic, she did, she was coming from the land down under. Hello, Aussies. Love you. Mwah. She had not heard the commercial that used to run on TV when I was just a lass in the early Bronze Age. And it was, it was for one of those signalers that you press to get the police to come help you. And it was for old people who had fallen and they can't get up. So it would just be one staged melodramatic old person after another lying on the floor clicking this thing and going I've fallen and I can't get up so, I'm sorry for those of you who have fallen and you can't get up it's not funny god I can't believe you'd even make light of that why did you even bring this topic to the thing to the gathering room um <laughs> no so I thought I said to my beloveds I have fallen off my spiritual practice and I can't get up and we sat and talked about when we've been really good at our spiritual practice, like being good at a diet, and it's intention plus effort, damn it. You decide you're going to experience the bliss of being, so you get up and you sit absolutely still and you watch your thoughts until they stop. And you do this for long periods of time. And that's spiritual practice. So we were saying, yeah, yeah. We we're sort of talking about how since we've been raising a baby, we're all kind of, and um, we're not as focused as we used to be. And um, Ro was saying, yeah, there was a time in her life, she's felt like waves of a need for a spiritual practice. So there would be a wave of just like traveling the world and singing and playing the guitar in Ireland to get money for dinner and fabulous adventures like that. And then there would be a time when she would suddenly get this wave of desire to do spiritual practice and she would do meditation and prayer and all this stuff. And magical things always happened during those times. Like there are big waves of genuinely miraculous things that come into your life when you are actively engaged in a spiritual practice, no question. So I was like, oh, it's too bad. Like I just, I just can't get up the gumption these days. So we left it at that. 
And then um, I went off to something else and Ro was cooking dinner and I came down the stairs and she said the weirdest thing just happened to me. What happened was this. There are very, you know, there are very specific situations you go through in your life that have to do with all kinds of interpersonal dynamics and your personal history and everything. Well, I've been going through one of those, like someone from my past reached out to me and it was like, whoa, this is wild. And it brought up all kinds of interesting, like reactions from childhood and adolescence and all these different things. So I, it, but it's very strange. Like when you grow up in a, sorry, Mormons, in a cult, <laughs> and then you leave and then you don't talk, nobody from your childhood talks to you for a very long time. And then they talk to you again. It's very odd. It's like not in your average self-help book. Though I've written about it briefly in the self-help book that I wrote that's coming out in April. So um, I came down the stairs and Rose said, listen to this song. And she had picked up her phone, gone to an album from an artist that she hadn't, uh, she hadn't listened to this album for a long, long time, like a decade or so. Scrolled to a certain song without really thinking about it and played it. And you guys, that song could have been written for exactly, specifically to fit the precise situation that is going on in my own life right now. It was like a little gift to me. Like there's even a, a desert in what once was underwater. And I, you know, I grew up near the Great Salt Lake, which was a, an ocean that just evaporated and left salt flats. Like all these different images from this person who did not grow up in my situation, but they're, they're in this song. And this is what happens to me often and maybe some of you have this experience too where a song will come up in your mind or sometimes for me it's a phrase of poetry or something else i've read and it will just repeat at the back of my mind over and over until i finally pay it some attention and when i do it suddenly it is an exact answer to a question that i've been having that is a deep yearning of my soul like it's it feels like it's an answer literally straight from heaven well that's what happened while Ro went down to cook after we'd had this discussion about how we'd fallen off our spiritual practice and we can't get up. And I realized something, and I've said this before, I've thought it before, but never in this way. I have thought always that spiritual practice means intention, you know, intention to find out what's true, intention to connect with the divine or whatever you believe in or don't believe in, that that meant intention and then you had to have an effort. So you do your self-help book or you write your self-help book or, and you meditate and you do the things and you do them really, really hard. You know, I went through every, when I was going through my super like crazy spiritual seeking phase after my son Adam was born, I tried fasting for weeks on end. I tried, I tried praying five times a day facing Mecca. I mean, I really, I tried everything and Boy, did I put out the effort and not much happened for a long time because here's what I realized again today. Real spiritual practice is intention plus relaxation. It's letting go. It's not trying so hard. Every time I've had a massive spiritual message come to me, it came through a little side door in my consciousness where there was no attention and no effort. It was just, hello. Every morning when I get the baby, I said, the first thing I say to her is, hello. And she likes it. 
And if I feel like um, every time I intend something, like we had this morning communion conversation where I was crying, yeah, I wish we did spiritual practice right now because we're falling off and can't get up. And bam, immediately something happened that was a tiny little miracle, but it was a big one for me. It was a big one for Ro. And, um, and it gives you that feeling that, no, you are not here to suffer. You are not here to strive and to prove to some angry God that you're good enough. You're here to be to learn to be aware that you are meant to be loved and you are meant to love. And there is nothing else you really need to do and that you can't get it wrong. So remember um, in um, the book Proof of Heaven, which is by a guy whose name is right on the tip of my tongue. Um, he says there are, he had this massive near-death experience. And he came back with three basic messages. The first one is you are infinitely loved. The second thing is you are absolutely safe. And the last thing is you cannot get this wrong. You can't get it wrong. And it's waking up to that, that you are loved, that you are safe, and that you can't get it wrong. That is spiritual realization. Those are the moments of Satchitananda. Those are the moments of bliss. And they, you don't have to be like in a structured position saying prayers of a certain memorized, you know, text or anything. You just have to have the intention to be, to wake up. And then waking up happens the way falling asleep happens. It just slips in and you don't even notice it because it's not a mental effort. It's just a gift. It's just grace. So that is what did happen to me today as a birthday present. And now I will take some questions from any of you who want to talk about this. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. And the great Rowan Mangan is over here getting me questions. Oh my goodness, the questions are tiny. I am entering my 80th decade, you guys. How could you expect me to read this? Okay, here. Emily says, I can't not do my spiritual practice. I get upset when it's threatened. One could name it as rigid or dependent. I can spend hours focused on self-care and practice. Oh, me too, Emily. Like, I remember one time in California when I used to, that's, that was especially fun because as you know, perhaps, I would go out in the forest, sit down and sprinkle myself with bird seed, and then the animals would come and eat the bird seeds while I was meditating. And the birds would land on me and the chipmunks and the squirrels. And um, it was very cool. And I remember once a very important person called, like really famous, important person. And my beloved Karen came out to get me with a cell phone while I was meditating. And I just, and she was like, it's this very important person. And I just looked daggers at her. That's how much my spiritual practice makes me loving and universally accepting. I was like, get out of my meditation. And I would not take the phone call, no, because the most important person on earth is nothing compared to Satchitananda, right? 
So that's a great thing. And that's what Ro was saying. Sometimes she's had a wave where wild horses could not drag you away from it. But here's the thing. I think we're kind of being guided through different variations of, of the human experience. And when we're pulled toward spiritual practice and it's delicious, that's great. Go there. But then if you fall and you can't get up, just set the intention to accept that you've fallen and you can't get up, but you still would really like to have a spiritual practice of some kind. And it will, it will come to you in its own gentle way. And it may not be like what you look, what you're looking for. There's something in Zen called Genjo Koan, which means a koan is something that you meditate on in order. It makes no sense to the logical mind. Like what is the sound of one hand clapping, right? And you think about it until your mind cracks into an irrational space. It, it goes beyond logic because the, the question can't be solved within logic. And that's the koan and it breaks your mind open. But Genjo Koan is where the situations of life force your mind to break open. And I am here to tell you guys, last week was kind of a feminist week. And I have to say, I think a lot of, um, a lot of guys have gone off to the mountains to seek spirituality and it's great. But the experience that women have of caring for others emotionally and physically is Genjo Koan. It is hard. It is give up your own comfort. It is respond to someone who is screaming into your face with nothing but the tenderest love in the middle of the night over and over and over. That's Genjo Koan. That is spiritual practice. If you're doing that, you're going to awaken. Okay, Ellen says, how do you open yourself to the answers that you're seeking? Do you think you're allowed? to find answers for someone else. I want to help my son who struggles with his special needs. I think if you set out to be God for someone else, you're in very treacherous territory. That is one of the things I did most wrong in my own life. However, if you go with your spiritual practice and your intention is, I wish to be healed from the wounding that is in my own soul because of my child's special needs. And you commit your intention to that. And then you relax and you allow yourself to be guided, to be healed, to be informed. You will heal in such a way that it will allow you to be a healing force for him. I need to go do that myself, actually, because I, st I still stress sometimes over my own son's special needs. And um, the way to deal with that is to get back into your own bliss. Yeah. So Tanya says, if you can't get it wrong, does that mean there are no mis mistakes, no doing harm to others? Well, in the realm of this world, of the physical, absolutely. We live in a, um, a, a subset of reality where material things seem real and where there are real things like justice, there are real things like harm. But what happens when you meditate for a zillion hours or have a big breakthrough of some kind is suddenly you realize, and it doesn't come as a concept. I can't, I can't describe to you how real it is, but it happened to me first during my near death experience when a light came and like pulled me out of the human experience. And I was just in that light. And you realize that consciousness, 
it's like you've been sitting in a movie theater and you're all actors in a movie and you're all gathering, you're eating popcorn, you're watching the movie and you're going, and it's like Schindler's List or something or Sophie's Choice, it's some awful thing. And you're all going, man, Meryl, you are doing a great job as this in this horrible, horrible film. And oh my gosh, this is such great filmmaking and it's amazing and it's horrifying and it's, but it's ultimately redemptive and it's so fascinating. And you're sitting in the audience eating popcorn and it was all projected so that, so, you know, you could go through the experience of the, the bittersweet quality of human life. And it's very bitter and very sweet. But it's not what is ultimately real. Like when you step out of the body, when you drop it, when you like shuck it aside, as people who've had near-death experiences, Evan Alexander, that's the guy who wrote Proof of Heaven. He and all the other near-death experiencers I've ever read about, they say you just, it, your body's like a suit of clay. It's just like, ugh, get that thing off me. And then boom, you're in a place where the whole catastrophe of everything is projected for your own edification and deep learning. That whole thing about um, compassion is the evolution of consciousness and the healing of trauma. That, that somehow going through this as human beings is advancing us to levels of higher joy and higher bliss and deeper compassion. At that, at that level, nothing can harm you. At the level where you're physical and think like, do Black Lives Matter? You're damn right they do. Does it matter when people get killed for unjust reasons? Yes, and we should fight for justice with every breath in our body. And at the same time, there's a part of us that spiritually is every single person in the equation both the murderer and the murdered, both the sufferer and the, tor the tormentor, as a whole consciousness. It's hard to explain, but you pull back from it and all you feel is this, is a love so absolute and a wholeness so unassailable and a peace so complete that nothing, nothing, nothing could ever seem to have been to have gone wrong again I mean, some pretty gnarly things happened to me and from the perspective of that light it was just an experience to help my soul evolve so yeah we should fight for justice but no nothing ultimately can harm the soul and those are two different levels okay stephanie says in my former buddhist practice they said that prayer should never feel like a painful austerity when it did, for me, I left that practice and have been enjoying the last year letting spirit be about inspiration rather than obligation. And it feels amazing. Stephanie, why don't you just jump in and teach this? Because you nailed it. That is perfect and beautifully said. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm not even going to comment on that. It's perfect. I love it. Spirit should be about inspiration rather than obligation. Yeah. Teresa says, I see that for myself and others who follow or are interested in a spiritual path, but what about truly evil people like Hitler or Bin Laden or Trump? She said it, not me. I believe it, but she said, <laughs> sorry. They can't get it wrong either. Sometimes I feel, and I'm really sorry if y'all are Trump supporters, but I actually feel in one of my books, I talked about having a meat self, this self, and a meta self, meta meaning other, so a metaphysical self. It came because I put in meta self 
as a word I was making up and my spelled correct changed it to meet self, which is sort of what's happening all the time. We have a, a spiritual self and we everything in the world wants to spin it as a meat self, right? Um, but I sometimes think that the meta selves of people who do evil are like chess players in some universal game whose job it is to create the conflict that causes the story. I don't know, but last week, pictures were taken many, that Trump did a press release from a tiny little table in the White House and immediately got like bombed on Twitter by comments about sitting at the kids table and everything. And here's the most powerful man in the world with billions of dollars at his disposal. And somehow he sat at this little tiny table and he's so conscious of wanting to be big. And I just think, is his meta self just choosing that because it's a trickster? Like it's, it's like playing around with the physical form because that couldn't be who someone really is. I don't know. And I, but I do feel like sometimes my meta self has played little tricks like that on me. Like when I've been in my worst self, I've accidentally done things that, that weren't what my worst self wanted. And they ended up turning me and cracking my ego. And I do think that our meta selves are trying to crack our egos. And I think in those cases, there are these massive egos that keep getting assaulted by a loving force to crack through them. Um, as Leonard Cohen says, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And so I think, yes, crack it, the pressure of their misery, and they are universally miserable. As much horror as they cause, they also experience it. They deny it, but they experience it. And that suffering is trying to crack the ego, but the ego is so strong it won't be cracked. Who knows? Maybe they go back for other lifetimes. I don't know what the deal is. I'm just glad I didn't get born with one of those assignments because I don't think they'd be very fun. Hope that's not, um, eh, we could have moral arguments all day long. I just, uh, the only the only story I can tell is my own. And what I can say is that when I've done wrong and I've done wrong, my ego has done it and my soul has tried to crack me out. And it's always happening. Okay, Nikki says, silly question, but sometimes it's hard to relax and allow myself to turn it all off, especially for more than a few minutes. Can we relax in small doses and still find this or it find us? It's not a silly question, Nikki. It's brilliant. Um, it will find you. It will find you no matter what. But if you're not able to still the mind, the mind will not notice it. It's very strange. When the mind gets still, you can look back through your life and see it was there. Like at this minute, this minute, this minute. Like spiritual answers were coming to me a thousand times a day. And I didn't see it because I had the wrong pair of colored glasses on. You know, it, when I put on the glasses of stillness, I can look back over my history and see the love and see the grace that was coming the whole time. But when I have on, say, depression glasses or anxiety glasses or anger glasses, and anger can be really healthy and really good, but if, if you get caught up in it, it's not always positive. I don't see them. I just don't see them. That's okay, though, because they're still happening. They're always happening. And I do recommend some form of stillness practice to get yourself to notice the bliss that's trying to reach you. And for that, I would say, yeah, if wild horses are dragging you to meditate, meditate. If not, just listen to music and you'll find messages coming to you any which way. It's always coming to us. We don't have to do anything special. It loves us. That's the thing. Okay, Kathy says, this sounds like a way of being. 
how would you apply this to making money? I can do it best when it's something I love, but then get stuck again thinking it has to be hard work to make good money. Here's the weird thing. Every time I coach someone, you're going to be able to make money doing what you love. I am terrified. It's kind of like every time we go to Africa and we say, wild animals will show up for you and bring you spiritual messages. And we kind of look at each other, my friends and I, and go, oh, um, will that happen? Like, are animals going to come this time? Like, And they always do. They always have. So I would tell you that the bliss of being is the thing that attracts all energy and money is a form of energy. I have spent so much of my life selling out to do something I hated, like making television, just don't particularly like it, um, in order to make money. And it never worked. I could never monetize it. And then I go off to the woods and meditate and want everyone to just leave me alone. And somehow people find me and ask, if they can pay me to do things. It's very, very strange, but all the money I've ever made has coming come pursuant to following my spiritual practice. I do believe that the world rewards us for following our true path and not everyone's is like mine, but it might work for you. We can talk about, maybe we'll do that next week on The Gathering Room. It's a good topic, Kathy, thank you. But do what you love, the money will follow. I believe that. Okay, JC says, do you have suggestions of how not to feel defensive about other people and their religious beliefs? Same as dealing with a person with a disability that you love. Um, you can just deal with your own frustration as the flaw in your own ego and use it to crack you open because other people's religious beliefs are none of your business, but your, your annoyance or your feeling caught because they have different religious beliefs your suffering is something you can work with as a, a step forward spiritually. And every time we go forward, we break through into higher levels and deeper levels of Satchitananda. Kathy says, can a spiritual practice be playing or listening to music? Yes. Next question. Absolutely. Music is pure spirit and um, well, pure emotion. And that's very close to pure spirit. So use it. Ruby says, are there spiritual realizations that help you to heal your physical body? Oh, that could be a whole nother topic. Ro, wherever you are, write these down. They're amazing. Um, yeah, that was my first thing that made me do spiritual practice was that my body hurt so much I literally couldn't move. And even if I didn't move, I was in so much pain, I had to find comfort somehow. And it went from a little bit of comfort in a time of agony to, oh, I made all my symptoms go away and they told me they were incurable. So yes, we will talk about that later, but absolutely. Finally, Caroline says, if you don't feel like doing your spiritual practice one morning, should you push through and still do it? Or should you wait for a morning that meditation and yoga, my favorite practices sound enjoyable to you? It's all in the intention setting. Set an intention that's a little bit more than tomorrow. Set an intention that's for next year or you know the next month or whatever, and see if you can sort of have a little bit of a goal so that you move forward a bit more than you might if you just followed your habitual patterns. So break your patterns a little bit, but I loved what Kathy said. If it's an obligation or a drain, don't do it. It should be done as a genuine step toward what brings you joy. And I've never actually been able to sustain anything that wasn't genuinely joyful to me. So start out, if you don't love it, stop. Start out if you love it, keep going. Just set an intention and relax and all kinds of 
beautiful, beautiful spiritual magic is going to come your way. I love you all. Thank you so much for coming. I'll see you next week right back here. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. I love gathering with all you beautiful people every week on The Gathering Room, but lately I've wanted to do some actual gathering. And my favorite way to gather is to go someplace wild with a few friends and tap into our true nature. So in January 2025, my partner, the gracious badger Rowan Mangan, and I are running a retreat in the lush wilds of Costa Rica. The retreat is called Pure Wild Self, and Ro and I will be teaching you ways of shedding the layers of culture that keep us from being our truest selves. It is going to be so much fun, and if you feel the pull, it may just change your life. These things always change mine. So if you'd like to come play, learn, and create with us, please go to marthabeck.com retreat and find out more.